Preston, Hornick flat on the boards in front of the 200, Dr. Grayson, Sedestin are challenging, and better loosen up on the extreme outside, Sedestin and Benedict have come away, they're fighting it out, better loosen up on the extreme outside is roaring clear, and better loosen up wins the Sajano, Sedestin second. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Many Australian trainers have tried their horses on Pride's Racing Cube and have given the product a tick of approval. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube set recipe formulation means the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags, or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at an economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers of thoroughbreds, standard breads, and performance horses are giving it the thumbs up all around the nation. Palaiser Pan's victory in the Tatch Tiara at Eagle Farm in June of 2023 was well received by all sections of the industry. In winning Australia's final Group 1 of the season, the genuine mare also provided a maiden win at the elite level for trainer Chris Munce and for Kyle Wilson-Taylor, a young jockey whose star is on the rise. Kyle learned the basics of horse management in his native state of Victoria before securing his first apprenticeship with Brett Dodson at Coffs Harbour in late 2017. He had a healthy number of winners under the belt when his newly appointed manager Glenn Courtney suggested a move to Queensland and a transfer of his indentures to the respected trainer Lindsay Hatch at Toowoomba. Kyle spent more than a year on the Downs, forming a strong association with his new master and other Clifford Park trainers. Keen to get closer to town, he opted to spend the last 18 months of his apprenticeship with Kelly Sweeter at Eagle Farm. Natural improvement and a fierce competitive streak saw Kyle finish the 2021-22 season as Brisbane's champion apprentice. He's the first to admit that racing has given him the focus he needed to eliminate the distractions of a restless youth. He's under suspension as we record this podcast and is somewhat frustrated. Kyle, for a young bloke who thrives on the adrenaline rush that competition brings, these suspensions are getting up your nose. Yeah, certainly, John. Uh... It's good to be on here talking to you, and uh, you're not wrong. It's uh, it can be quite frustrating, but um, you know it's part and parcel of the job. And and look, uh, I've probably no one to blame but myself. So, uh, you know, we'll take these on the chin, and uh, we'll keep moving forward. In just five years of race riding, you've had an unhealthy number of suspensions, largely due to your insatiable desire to win races. You sometimes just overstep the fine line between competitive riding and the riding that gives you an unfair advantage. But you're rethinking the whole business, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah, certainly, John. Uh, obviously, I, I'm still quite young and um, my my competitive nature is the reason why I've been able to be successful so far. And, um, you know, there's a fine line between being, uh, you know, competitive and, and crossing the line and, and look, I'm the first to admit I've crossed the, I've crossed the line a few too many times, and uh, you know, I've just really got to take a, a step back and, and really look at the reasons why, and, um, and and that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm really trying to just work that out, and uh, I'm sure it's just something that I'll I'll, I'll master and, and I'll get through, and, um, and and I'll come out the other side of no doubt. It's called maturity, mate. Great to see. <laughs> Avoiding interference might cost you one win. 
but not several wins, as could be the case if you cop a suspension. It's pretty simple mathematics. Yeah, for sure. It's just it's just uh, trying to keep that in your mind when you're out there and in the heat of the moment. That's sort of that is the that's the art of it, I guess. You've got one big advantage over those suspended jockeys whose weight can get out of control because of inactivity. Your weight is very stable. Yeah, I, I do blow out a little bit, but not uh, you know, not too bad at all. I I'm quite lucky with my stature and and look, I, I'm. You know, I look after myself too when I'm out as well, so I don't like to, to make it too much hard work when I do come back, that's for sure. Mm. Well, you can't get any more Victorian than to be born in Geelong as you were, but you were only nine when the family moved to a place called Wallen, closer to Melbourne. Your parents separated when you were just a toddler and there were some very tough years for you, your brother Cooper and your sister Mia, and you tell me your mum, Cara, did the best she could under very trying conditions. Yeah, definitely, John. Uh, sort of probably the early sort of half of, of my life was actually, it was quite good. We had a stepfather and uh, we sort of, we moved around a little bit, but it, we were, you know, we sort of had everything we needed and then sort of got to about the age of 14 and, uh, you know, my mum and my stepfather sort of, they broke up and uh, that's where things sort of went downhill and, uh, we didn't. There wasn't a lot of money, and uh, like you said, there was some tough times. And um, but they're 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 the times that make you. And um, you know, probably without that happening, I probably don't get move away and move to Coffs Harbour and and things like that. So mm. uh, you know, you can look at it one way, but it's probably the tougher times are probably what made me. You know, absolutely. Well, school wasn't your favourite place, and you walked away from it at the beginning of year ten. But before you did that, you got to attend a few school camps early days, and on one of those excursions, something happened that would change the course of your life. They gave you the choice of riding a bike or a horse. Why did you pick the horse? Um, I guess just because my grandfather, he'd always sort of drummed into me that I was small enough to be a jockey. He was He loved his racing, but I never really spent a lot of time with him before then, and um, I don't know. I'd ridden plenty of bikes in my time, and I don't know. I just thought I'd jump on the horse, you know. So, mm. but and I didn't really get the choice. They sort of just they they sort of just put us into two groups, and one group went with the, the bike, and the other one went with the horses. So, I jumped on, and uh, yep, yeah, that was the start. That was definitely the start. Mm. Well, the fanciful notion of becoming a jockey was probably in your mind from that moment. And it was your maternal grandfather, David, who happened to know Lee and Shannon Hope, who were training racehorses at Seymour. I think you were 12 when you started to learn the fundamentals. So Lee and Shannon were your very first tutors, mainly on weekends. Yeah, that's right, John. Yeah, so um, as you said, I fell in love with the horse straight away. And um, as soon as I got back from that camp, I went to my grandfather's house and said, this, I want to be a jockey, and there was no two ways about it. That I, I had my heart set in that moment, and uh, he said, "Okay, well." And I think that with it, I think it was the next day or the day after there was a meeting on at Seymour, and my grandfather took me up there and introduced me to Shannon Hope, and uh, he, he sort of said, "Why do I want to be a jockey?" And I said, "Well, I love horses, and I love going fast." And um, and then from that moment onwards, I think the following weekend, I was up at. Shannon's property at Seymour and mm. uh, didn't know how to do anything with the horse, but um, that's where it started. Well, then came a stint at Kilmore at a breaking and pre-training operation and you met a lady there by the name of Bronwyn Upjohn and you tell me she was one heck of a tutor. Yeah, uh, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without her. She... Uh, so she'd done a lot of work for Lee and Shannon and they'd sent their daughter Talia to her and, and she'd helped Blake out early doors as well. And uh, they sent me there and I'd be there every school holidays and uh, did all my work experience there. And uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't sit on a horse to save myself, but she taught me right from the word go. And it would have been, you know, a couple of frustrating years, really. I was, I was quite hopeless and, uh, <laughs> but I was determined to be, to, to be good at it, and um, and I, I'm sure she could see that. So, um, 
yeah, certainly wouldn't be where I am without her and, and you know, still talk to her all the time and she's uh, she's been very good for my my career and, and personal life also. She's been fantastic. Did you speak to her after you won the Group 1? Yeah, I had plenty of phone calls to make and uh, certainly the Hopes and, uh, and and Bronwyn were they were at the top of the list. So, yeah, um, yeah no, it, it's really good, especially for, for Bronwyn. She'd probably get a good kick out of it knowing that she played a big role, you know. Mm. Well, Grandfather David was a very strong figure in your early life and he remained insistent that you should look at an apprenticeship. He kept chipping away, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, certainly. He uh, he did and uh, he really pushed me towards it and um, although he never he never pushed it upon me, mm. Uh, he sort of he just would continue to mention it, and I uh, and you know I just followed through. You made two attempts to make the cut for Racing Victoria's apprentice jockey training program, and you were pretty disheartened when you missed out both times. They had a long waiting list, though, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did, and uh, look, um, I was very disheartened, really, because I just saw that a lot of the apprentices that were being accepted at the time were, you know, sons of jockeys or trainers, kids and whatnot. And uh, I felt that I, without being cocky, I felt that I would be better than, you know, majority of the other people that they accepted. And and as it turns out, I, I, I probably can't tell you one rider that's probably still riding out of the two years that I applied. I don't, I don't know if there is. There might be a couple, but I know a lot dropped out or got heavy and, mm. and whatnot. And just knowing how determined I was to succeed, it, it was a kick in the guts that it was yeah. out of my control to, to mm. become an apprentice. Kyle, just trying to learn a little bit more about Kyle Wilson-Taylor in mid-teens, how would you describe the person you were back then? Pretty angry? Angry, um, lost. Mm. Um, yeah, angry, lost, and... Did you feel the world owed you something? Yes, certainly. Mm. So, um, yeah, just no, sort of. Ne- I've never, uh, you know, had to lie about my myself as a teenager or anything. I when when I didn't get accepted to the, the program, I sort of just gave up on it all, and um, that's when my wife at home wasn't very good, and and I was becoming a bit of a rogue. And, Apart from the bosses I'd had, other than that, I never really had male figure that was constant and, you know, disciplined me. So I, I just become more and more of a rogue and did what, mm. you know, Kyle wanted to do. And, uh, and that's when I started, you know, I was staying at different people's houses and, and you know, probably started partying and, you know, drugs started getting involved and mm. um, went down a, down a bit of a rabbit hole, really. Mm. You had an uncle who could see that you were going down the wrong path. And one day he sat you down and he said, Kyle, you've got to get the hell out of Victoria. Get away from your circle of friends and try everything you can to find a job in racing. And you heeded his advice. You bolted. Yeah, it, it probably wasn't as quick as that, but I, um, I, mean, I continued on doing what I was doing for a bit and... Um that was still, you know, his his voice was sort of in the back of the head, you know, mm. and I really looked at, I was in a small town, Wallen's a small town and, uh, you know, everyone knows each other and it's just, mm. it, was, it was a very toxic environment at the time and it got to the point where I was, I thought, well, this is going to be me for the rest of my life or worse. So I just, you know, I had a father that lived at Coffs Harbour and I, uh, I just, yeah, I just, I literally just packed up and left. It was, it mm. was pretty, pretty hard and scary. And, um, but it was, you know, in the end, it was the right one. Oh, I'll say you've pulled the right rein. Is it true you just bowled into the Coffs Harbour race course one morning to the training complex and actually asked if you could ride some work? Who was the first trainer to leg you up? Uh, yeah, that is true, John. And and the first, all the trainers sort of looked at me, and they didn't know whether I was licensed or what. Or they were they were a bit worried that you know they'd never seen me or heard of me because I just like you said just rocked up there one day. And mm. uh, Brett Bellamy, he uh, you know he he threw me up on a horse, and 
to be honest, probably wasn't the easiest horse to ride either. And I jumped on it and, um, yeah, I think from that moment onwards there, you know, everyone was sort of pretty welcoming and, and knew that I could I could do the job. So Yeah, it wasn't long before you were riding 12 or 15 every morning, I'll bet. Yeah, that's right. It was very, very quick. Probably two days later I was. Uh, mm. Brett Dodson was riding his own work at the time and he rode a horse past you one day and you could see he was a very good horseman. Did you ask him about an apprenticeship? Yeah, that's right. I um, I sort of, uh, like you said, I seen him riding his own work and uh, I'd been there. I'm very lucky, John, that growing up, the horsemen that I was around, they were, they were only very good ones. They, you know, I was never around any average horseman. So um, I knew what to look for and, and, and Brett was that. So, um yeah, it wasn't long before I went straight up to him and, and asked him and uh, I think within the same day, sort of come back in the afternoon and said, yeah, no, mate, I'll give you a go. And, mm. and from that moment onwards, it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I'll say, and nine months later, the big day arrived, your first day at the races. 14th of July, 2018, it was a Saturday meeting at Port Macquarie. You had three rides. The first was for Terry Evans in race one, the horse's name was Gotta Run. He didn't. Yeah, John, very funny. Uh, it's quite funny his name was that, Gotta Run. And, uh, yeah, we, we loaded in the barriers and, you know, I was I was very nervous and, uh, you know, probably wouldn't say scared, but just, you know, the unknown was about to happen and ridden trials and whatnot. But it's very different when you get out there. And Peter Graham was in the in the barriers and he said, oh, everyone, the rail was out, I remember, and he said, everybody just be careful, give each other a bit of room coming to this corner. And I had a big grip of the mane and I was ready to go and gates opened and, like you said, the horse didn't run. The horse stood there and uh, <laughs> about two furlong start. And uh, you know what, I still, once he jumped out of the machines, I still – Still pulled the persuader on him. I was about 70 lengths last, but I got a bit of practice anyway. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Well, race four and out you go again on a horse called Mr Smarty for local trainer Taz Morton. How did you get to ride one for Taz? Well, uh, I, th I think he was in the race. He was obviously accepted, but he didn't have a rider on. And, and Brett called him and said, this kid can ride, you know. And, and Taz is pretty you know, tough, hard master, you know, and uh, he said, oh, are you sure he can ride? And, and Brett said, mate, I'm telling you, he can ride. Give him a go. So mm. thankfully to Brett and Taz, uh, you know, got the ride and uh, he turned out to be quite a good old galloper, mm. Mr. Smart. Uh, you know, he he was, I think he was in, I'm not sure what race, it, it might have been a class one race or something like that. And yeah. he had four back, so he was a moral really, but um yeah, he he just towed me around. He jumped out, sat outside the leader, and yeah. I blew a kiss, and he, he he won easy. So, and he beat a couple of seasoned old jockeys uh, into the placings: Raymond Spokes and Peter Graham. Yeah, some really good guys, and um, you know, guys that I'm really good friends with still. And um, Raymond's obviously based at Crofts Harbour, so he's he was really good and helpful to me in the early days, and and, and you know, riding with the likes of Pete, they they've got so much experience, so. Mm. Um, yeah, it was great to obviously beat them in my first race ride, but just to be riding with them uh, that time was was invaluable experience, really. You had a third ride on the day, finishing fourth in a later race. Yeah, I give him none too, John. He probably should have gone a lot closer. I was, I think uh, my brain had sort of exploded after riding a winner, and uh, <laughs> I think I sat four deep on him and went to the outside fence, and uh, yeah, it was probably the best fourth you've ever seen. Wasn't pretty. No, it wasn't pretty at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, you kicked on and the winners started to flow when one day at Grafton in an apprentice's race, you clipped heels and hit the deck with substantial damage. Yeah, that was a terrible day, and but it's probably the making of me as well. Uh, I had a lot of people wrapping me up at the time and, and telling me how good I was and and to be honest, I thought I was good too. And mm. to be to be honest, I actually wasn't. You know, I looked okay on them, and I could pull the whip and whatnot. But tactically, I had no idea. And mm. um, my uh, you know my ego was bigger than me at the time. Um, I'm the first to admit that. And 
um, having that fall, like you said, I damaged my wrist badly and, um, you know, and it really, really shook my confidence and, and it, like I said, probably made me really. Yeah. I think they inserted two plates and about 13 screws. It wasn't a bad break. No, I did a good job and uh, it was pretty painful, I'll tell you. And mm. um, Yeah, we, we it still gets a bit sore now, but uh, yeah, thankfully they could repair it. The surgeons did a good job and mm. uh, we're back. You know, so. Well, on recovering, you were not where you wanted to be mentally and you actually decided on a complete break from racing. You tried a couple of normal jobs for a while. What did you do? Uh, well, I, I tried some concreting, some roof tiling. Uh, I worked in the as a uh, like a seniors club down here, like a bowling club, and I worked there for one day. And yeah, it was uh, you know I quickly learnt what the real world was like. And uh, you know, I give that away. I, I wasn't very good at the concreting. I reckon I tipped over a. A, uh, a wheelbarrow concrete and the actual wheelbarrow picked me up and flew me and I was the laughing stock of the of the crew there so all the big Samoan boys were laughing at me and oh um, but yeah the reason why I'd actually stopped riding was I actually was riding at Moree one day and uh, I, I thought I, I nearly fell and um, I sort of was just like oh not again because mm. I'd had a few falls and um, I come back in and I said that's it I'll, I'll never do this again I, I just mm. I didn't I just I didn't want to do it. I, I hadn't. It was only a couple of months into my career, so I'd never really got the chance to ride a lot of winners and get. I thought I was good, but deep down I knew I wasn't actually that confident. So mm. I sort of. So yeah. So then my confidence was shaken, and and that's right. I just I stopped riding and uh, I looked to do other things, but figured out that they're they're not much fun and uh, quickly back to the the racing game. Oh yeah, the lure of the thoroughbred overpowered you again and you decided to accept an offer from Dwayne Schmidt at Grafton working on the ground for three months you didn't get back to race riding at that stage uh I, I yeah so I worked on the ground for sort of three months and I was it was a great great time because Dwayne was very hard on me and he was a good jockey in his own right when he was younger and uh he was really hard on me and and he knew what I needed and uh, he'd take me out to ride his ponies and teach me how to jump them, and um, it was really good. And then I got back riding work, and uh, then trials, and then and then I did come back and have a few rides under him, and then mm. uh, and then got lured back to Coffs Harbour, back to Brett Dodson. So for mm. um, the time that I was with Dwayne, it was invaluable, and um, he's, he was the person I needed at that time in in my career and in life, really. Yeah, one of Dwayne's owners was Michael Beatty a former long-time stipendiary steward and now the CEO of the Clarence River Jockey Club at Grafton. Michael took an interest in your progress and he became a very valued consultant. He still is. Yeah, great man, Michael. He's, uh, he, he he was unbelievable in, in getting me to become a tac tactician as a jockey. He, uh, he could read a race better than what I could at the time and Every week we'd go to his office at Grafton and, um, you know, he would show me good rides from jockeys and then bad rides and, and show me what I should have done on this horse and that horse and we'd go over tactics for horses I was coming up that I was going to ride. And um, I remember one of them was a horse called Real Gent. He told he used to go really hard. He used to – it was Greg Howes trained him. He used to bolt. And um, I'd won on him, but he just took off of me in one. And then I was riding him the next start at Ballina and, we were looking through the race, and Michael Beatty said, "On every corner at Ballina, you let him let him slide, let him slide, let him slide half a length." So mm. I did that, and he won by the barest of margins. And that was just one small case, and you know, just teaching me to ride for luck. And he was he was huge on that. So, um, and like you said, he's still a consultant to me. I, you know, for anything that I need to know, a really smart person to call. He, he knows a lot about everything. So mm. he's probably. Those people I ring, you know. Mm. Kyle, if a long-time stipendiary steward doesn't know how to read a race, I don't know who does. Yeah, that's right. Must have been around this time when jockey manager Glenn Courtney came into your life. You'd actually known Glenn, hadn't you, from early days in Victoria? Well, I didn't know him, but I, I, uh, 
we, we come to the same stable with the hopes. So it's quite funny. We followed very similar trajectories in our in our lives. We we started off with the hopes, and then he actually moved to Coffs Harbour under Brett Bellamy, and then and then on to Queensland. So mm. uh, it's funny how that worked. But um, yeah, Shannon Hope sort of said, oh, "I've got a mate who's a good manager, and uh, he's up that way, and you know he'd be good." And then. Funnily enough, he'd already been watching me, so it just all made sense. And that's when we had a phone call, and uh, he's been my manager and, and one of my best mates ever since. Mm. Guy, we'll just take a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast, and when we'll come back, we'll find out how Glenn reshaped your destiny. Back with Kyle Wilson Taylor after this. Time Honoured Carrington Stakes will be 94 years old when the 2024 edition is run at Randwick on January 27. The race is named after Charles Carrington, who in the late 19th century served five years as the 16th Governor of New South Wales. The inaugural winner of the Carrington in 1930 was Pavilion, ridden by the legendary Morris McCartan, who in later years would become one of Australia's most successful trainers. Easily the most notable Carrington winner is the freakish Burnborough, who won the six furlong sprint in 1945, only one week after winning the Villiers at a mile. His amazing versatility was again on display the following year when he won the Doombin 10,000 and the Doombin Cup seven days apart. One wonderful old sprinter to make the race his own in the 1980s was At Sea, who won three Carringtons for Theo Green. Another high-profile winner of the sprint was Snippets in 1988. This brilliant horse had been the inaugural winner of the Magic Millions a year earlier and later in his career added three Group 1s to his CV. He later became a highly regarded sire and sire of brood mares. Snippets died at 17 years of age in 2002. When the Carrington Stakes comes around, you know there's a new year of Sydney racing underway. Saturday January 27th for the Carrington Stakes. Well, Glenn Courtney was instrumental in changing your life on two couch when he arranged for you to go all the way to Toowoomba to ride a horse one day for Lindsay Hatch. We'll talk about Lindsay firstly and then you can tell me about that horse's strapper. It eventually led to a full-time move to the Darling Downs. You really clicked with Lindsay Hatch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's right. So I was going up and riding at the Gold Coast on a Saturday and um, like you said, said, oh, you're going to have to go to Toowoomba and ride one for a bloke called Lindsay Hatch. I hadn't heard of him before and I went, oh, okay. Mm. So I rode at the Gold Coast before that and then I drove up there and it was cold and uh, I jumped on this horse and uh, he had a very good looking strapper and well, she did, had a very good looking strapper and mm. I was probably infatuated with her more than you know, worrying about riding the horse and the horse headbutted me in the face and I'd start going everywhere. So uh, it was <laughs> quite a But, um, yeah, so that's where it started in Toowoomba and um, not long after that I moved moved up there and, and I was under Lindsay Hatch. Right. Well, that's Strapper, with whom you became instantly besotted, is a little lady called Angela Jones who was subsequently forged her own very high-profile in Brisbane racing. In fact, she was last season's champion Brisbane apprentice. You tell me she played hard to get? Yeah, definitely. She uh, she's a good girl, and uh, yeah, like you said, it, it took plenty of plenty of hard work to to uh, to get her. And uh, but that definitely worth it. She's a, an amazing girl, and like you said, she's a she's a fantastic rider. And um, yeah, she's been nothing but great for my life. So yeah. You now live together in Brisbane. That's right, yeah. So I obviously moved down there first as when I transferred my dentist to Brisbane and then uh, she she followed after that when she was ready to come to start riding in Brisbane. Um, and it's just all worked out really good. And, uh, yeah, we have a nice house there in Northgate and, uh, you know, very happy and, and things are going great. During your time with Lindsay at Toowoomba, you tell me there were nibbles from Sydney and Brisbane stables at that time, but you elected to stay put. Yeah, and so that sort of started when I was still in Coffs Harbour. There was a few stables in Sydney that were interested, and uh, and obviously Lindsay Hatch in Toowoomba. So I was sort of umming and ahhing, and personally I felt that Sydney would 
possibly be a bit fast moving and, and um, you know, wouldn't really suit me. So, uh, and it's still not far from Coffs Harbour where I'm comfortable and, and got some friends and I just thought that it would be the right move and, and Toowoomba certainly was it was a perfect fit because it was still away from Brisbane and uh, it was still that slow pace but I still, you know, I, it was really just a good transition for me whereas I wasn't just dumped in the city. So, um, it, it, you know, some people said that I'd made the wrong decision by not going to Sydney but, um, you know, look, I, I don't regret anything and it's worked out great. So. Yeah, certainly has. Well, because Zach Purton's journey had begun in Coffs Harbour, you felt a natural affinity with him but there was one other northern New South Wales jockey for whom you had great respect, and you still do. Yeah, so like you said, uh, you know, Zach was from Coffs, so the whole time I was here, you know, people would say that you know, I looked similar to him on a horse and whatnot, and uh, and so all I'd ever heard about was Zach Purton. So obviously, I, I started to follow his career, and um, so I wanted to look like him a bit on a horse, and uh, and like you said, when I first started riding, Ben Looker was. He's similar to you. He looks like Zach on a horse and, and he's followed sort of him. So uh, Ben, he, he was really good to me and he gave me my first set of saddles when I started riding. And, uh, mm. yeah, so he was really good to me and, um, you know, helped me out when I was learning and, and we've, we've become really good mates from then and uh, and and still are now. So uh, and there's so many other jockeys too that at the time uh, that were really good. So, uh, but, yeah, Benny, he, he's a good mate and, uh, yeah, Rides plenty of winners too. Yeah, he does. He's, he's a very good rider, and uh, yeah, he, uh, he he knows how to how to ride a horse. So, uh, and, and he was sort of he, around the area. He, he just looked the best on a horse, and he was probably someone that I could look at most times. I went to the races and, and tried to model myself on. So, for a while, you rode in Queensland under a visiting apprentice's license, while your New South Wales license was still current. And when the New South Wales licence finally ran out, you expected the transition to a full-time Queensland licence to be a formality. It turned out to be a nightmare. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I could just transfer, but it, unfortunately it's not how it worked. And, um, yeah, so I had to, you know, uh, you know relinquish one licence and then open up gain another one in Queensland and, and doing that it just took five weeks for what some unknown reason so it was quite frustrating but um yeah look, we we got through that and it was all right now five weeks out must have cost you a huge number of rides yeah definitely but I was sort of lucky that I, I still had plenty of claim and I was going really good at the time so it was although I didn't I wasn't able to ride the rides were there when I came back, so I was was Mm. quite fortunate. You rode many doubles and trebles at the Toowoomba Saturday night meetings, and there were two quartets. In fact, there was one quintet. One day you rode the first winner at the Gold Coast on the Saturday afternoon before heading back to Toowoomba for the night meeting, where you won another four, five in the day. Yeah, it was uh, amazing, yeah. It's... um uh, once I went to Toowoomba, things really just kicked off, and uh, you know, I just, I just had a lot of luck as soon as I got there, and had a lot of great support, obviously too. But um, yeah, like you said, I had a few nights where I rode four winners, and then the day I went to the Gold Coast and I rode a winner, and then I came home and I rode four that night, and I think the night before that I was at the Sunshine Coast and rode a treble, and then I think I rode another double or treble on the Sunday at the Sunny Coast. So oh, yeah. it was a huge weekend, and. Uh, yeah, it's just amazing when you get on a roll how things start to work for you and uh, you don't really need to think about what you're doing. You just uh, It just happens for you. Mm. Your best result so far was a five-timer at Doombin on January the 15th, 2022. The day Coolangatta won the Magic Millions on the Gold Coast, you rode five winners at the Doombin meeting. Fort Wayne, Naughty Harry, Atlantic Eagle, Zucchina and Red Bloom for five different trainers. Yeah, I should have rode six, to be honest, John. I, I, I slaughtered one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny. David Van Dyke's a good friend of mine, and, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of riding for him, and, uh, you know, I make a joke that even after riding the five winners, I um, 
I still found myself calling him and apologising for my for my bad ride on one. So mm. it's quite fun, very levelling game. But um, like you said, it's uh, you know things just happened for me that day, and you know the, the last one uh, she was I think she was twenty twenty six dollars or something, and, and th- like I drew a wide gate, I just lobbed into a nice spot you know, by a bit of chance and had a bit of luck on my side and, and she was, you know, finished off over the top of him. So mm. it's uh, sometimes the stars align and things things go your way, which is it's mm. good. You've ridden some notable horses since moving to Brisbane. One of them was the very high-profile stayer incentivised, winner of a Caulfield Cup, and then he ran second in the Melbourne Cup the same year. You won a race on him early in the piece at Toowoomba on a Saturday night by a huge margin. How did he feel that night? Yeah, he was uh, he was a, he was a great horse, obviously. And I rode him uh, a couple starts before that. I rode him in a maiden over eighteen hundred, and uh, he he got he was back on the fence, and one bled in front of him, mm. and I had a horses to my outside. I was unable to move, so. Um, I just tried to keep him on his feet because I was all over heels for probably 300 metres and mm. I basically pulled him out of the race. He, at the top of the straight, he was, you know, he, he was had no chance. And I, there was an inquiry and I said to the chief steward, I said, this horse should have won. And he said, uh, he said, oh, I don't know, might have been a bit unlucky, but I don't, it's been beaten 18 lengths. I don't know whether it should have won. I said, I'm telling you, this horse should have won. Mm. And, um, yeah, so then he won his next two and then I rode him, as you said, over, it was a, 2400 meter race i think or you know 2200 meter race and he got back and i just went around him at the half mile and uh he put pay to him and and i got off the horse and the steward said oh i think that horse probably should have won that night and (laughs) yeah and he he gave me a great feeling he he beat a bunch of average horses that night but he he did it so easily and uh he had a lot of character and i remember just saying to angela when she picked me up that night from the races i said that's the best horse I've sat on. And she said, oh, I'm going to settle down. You know, it won a, it won a race Wombi, you know. Yeah. And, and funnily enough, he's gone on and done what he did in such a short career. So he was, he was an amazing horse. Yeah, Anthony Allen gained the ride on him shortly after, didn't he? Well, he was riding him before. And the mm. only reason I'd, I'd done quite a bit of riding for Steve Trugay and um, sort of if I was probably the main rider at Toowoomba at the time. So if... Well, he wasn't able to get back from the Gold Coast in time, Anthony, so um, that's how luckily I got back on him. And uh, Unfortunately, I was meant to ride him his next start in Brisbane. It would have been my first Metropolitan winner, but mm. I was suspended the whip and uh, Anthony got back on him. So mm. You rode Palazapan twice. The first time she ran a cracking fourth in the Stradbroke, only 2.3 lengths from Think About It. Any excuses in the Stradbroke? No, no, she didn't. She uh, she was a hundred to one and uh, had a very light weight. So I busted myself to um, to, to ride her, and uh, you know I was very grateful, you know, from Chris Munts and, the, and and his owners to, to have the faith in me to ride her. And um, look, yeah, she had a light weight and she grew reasonably. She was in seven, and we lobbed into the you know one out one back position, and uh, actually. Angela Jones, she she drew underneath me, and she was on TikTok Queen, and it's quite funny. We talk about it at the 600 metre mark. She, her horse is a bit of a back marker, and I said, "Oh, you're a bit close, aren't you?" And she said, "Shut up, I'm concentrating." Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? Shut up, I'm concentrating. And then that was her first Group One ride, so I don't blame her. And uh, you know, I quickly, you know, I was just glad that I'd been towed into the straight on a hundred to one chance. And then I give her a squeeze and I thought, Oh geez, this is, this is going to be in the finish here. So she mm. really, really surprised me. She only got beat what, a couple of lengths. You said, so mm. um, it was a huge one. And I was just ecstatic about that. And I got off the horse and Chris said, Oh, you want to ride that horse in the Tats tiara? And I said, well, good luck. Get me off. And, uh, <laughs> well, in yeah. between the Stradbroke and the Tats tiara, she was sold to Japan's Katsumi Yoshida, and she carried the famous Shadai Farm colours in the Tatsutiara two weeks later. Had another look at the replay the other day, Kyle. It was a gem of a ride. Just take us through it again. You look like being stuck wide, but somehow you got in. Yeah, it was uh, funny. 
she she wasn't the best worker. I'd never actually ridden her in a gallop before, but I knew she was a terrible worker and she had a really crabby action. And um, obviously I went in to gallop her on the on the Tuesday morning and she, she worked the house down. And I called my old boss, Brett Dodson, on the way. I was going to the trials and I said, I reckon I can win a group one on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, right. I said, that horse, it worked. Not only did she work good, she worked as good as good as you, you know, she worked amazing, you know. Mm. So not was it good for her? It was just great work in general, and I was just ecstatic. And then the barriers come out, and she drew, she drew quite off the track, and it never really shook my confidence. I, I don't really know why. I just never did. I just thought I need a bit of luck. But um, and the night before, I, I said to Angel, she said, oh, "I think that horse will go good tomorrow." And I said, yeah, "It'll win." And I came out in the mounting yard. I said to Chris Munz, I said, oh, he goes, oh, what do you reckon? I said, I'll be 1-1. One, one. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, all right. Well, if it doesn't work out, you know, go to plan B. I said, right, oh, that's where I'll be there. And he goes, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I've jumped and I've come across, like you said, and it looked as though I was going to be caught wide for a stride there. But funnily mm-hmm. enough, once I got across, the, the position that I wanted to be in was just vacant, which is strange for any race, let alone a group one. So, mm-hmm. um she just slotted in there and we had the most beautiful, you know, economical run around and uh, she typically laid in and, and she did that up the straight a bit and mm. uh, which probably helped a little bit because I, I didn't really get to expose her to probably a fair long out and then no. she sort of dashed away from him and, and uh, she was, you know, amazing that day. What a way to vindicate the massive change of direction in your life, a group one at Eagle Farm. Yeah, well, it's something that, you know, I've dreamt of since I was a young boy, and um, it's a it's quite a. Although I hope I have many more, and and I have continue to have success, I it's a bit of a it's a bit of a bookmark, you know, uh, you know, to say that that's where I've got to from where I was. So it's um, it although I don't want to see it and reflect too much and 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 dwell on the past, but it's uh it's very satisfying to have been able to turn it around like that and um. You know, just it's the fruits of my hard work, and and it's proof that if other people, you know, find themselves in certain situations that they can, if they want to work hard enough and they have a goal in mind, that they can do it themselves. Mm. Speaking of work, you're riding regular track work at Eagle Farm for Kelly Schweder, for Tony Gollan, for Tony and Madison Sears, and of course Chris Munts, who must be a great sounding board for you. Yeah, he is. He's a good little man, and uh, he, he's great to. You know, from having a bad day, give him a call, and he's uh, he's he's pretty hard on me. So it's um, he's probably sometimes what I need. You know, he gives me a kick up the bum, and but he's he, he's uh, he's a great trainer, and uh, you know, he he's a, he's a loyal person. There's in racing, there's not a lot of loyalty, and mm. uh, you know, he'll stick with his jockeys, and uh, he stands by that. So um, yeah, he's a good man, and and he's been nothing but good to me. Yeah, and he does know a little bit about race riding. Yeah, well, he could sit on a little bit. He, um, <laughs> so he tells me anyway. No, no, he was he was a fantastic jockey, and mm. there's not many jockeys that have done what he's done. So um, yeah, he's probably the right person to talk to when, when I when I you know, if I'm struggling with something, he's been in most positions. So it's uh, you know, he's he's great to talk to. Brisbane and Gold Coast trainers often take horses to the Northern Rivers meetings in New South Wales. And you get to return to your old stamping ground from time to time. What a day you had at Lismore in September. Four winners, second in the Lismore Cup on Without Revenge. You'd get a big kick out of that. Uh, two of the winners were trained by Daniel Bowen. Uh, Samantha McGurran prepared one of them and Kurt Goldman the other. I think your winners were Backseat Promise, Beef Week Princess 45 Park Lane and Rock Together. Yeah, John, it was uh, it's great. And like you said, just coming back down to this area, it's really grounding and, um, you know, it's just great riding with, you know, all the faces that were there when I first began riding. Even the day after I rode uh, the Group 1 winner, I was at Mwollomba the next day and mm. couldn't have actually really thought of a better place to be because everybody I knew when I first started was there. And, and then... Like you said, riding them winners on Lismore Cup Day, when I first started here, them, you know, Brisbane and the metropolitan areas 
in our minds here is so far away. So the big races to us are the Rusalon and, and the sprint races and, the, and then country cups. And when you first start, you think, oh, I just want to win a Lismore Cup or a Rusalon or whatever. So to win them races on that day was, uh, you know, to most jockeys that ride in town and whatnot, probably aren't a big deal. And, and But it was, yeah, very, very satisfying. It was, it was you know, it was, it was a good thrill winning them. And like you said, Daniel Bowen, he, he – you know, always supported me when I was claiming four in the bush, and I didn't really have a lot of luck for him when I first started. To so to repay him with them on his on his home track and on his biggest day was, uh, you know, it was really satisfying. Mm. You won a race at Doomben on Hinged before she was purchased by the same people who bought Incentivise. She's now won one point seven million, and uh, I think she won the Flight Stakes uh, or, yeah, the, or the yeah. Surround Stakes. It was a Group One mares at Randwick. Yeah, that's right. She um she was really promising Philly then, and uh you know she was a sit and steer job. I think she was actually my first Saturday Metropolitan winner, and um yeah she was she was quite an easy ride, and um she went on and and to you know to big heights. And I I kept thinking, obviously so young in my career, I said, geez, I just need to be able to tell me I stay on one of these horses and I'll be right. So <laughs> uh, lucky I found one I was able to stick to, but yeah, hopefully we can find a few more in the future. You won two races on Gypsy Goddess for David Van Dyke, a Sunshine Coast maiden and an open race at Eagle Farm. She finished up winning a Group 1 later with William Pike on board. She was a she was a great horse. She, um, Like I said, David Van Dyke's a good friend and, and someone I do a lot of riding for. And um, Yeah, I won her first start on her and... Uh, we didn't really have a lot of high hopes for her in the beginning. She never trialed well or showed anything in her gallops. And um, you know, Dave put some blinkers on her in her first start, and uh, we didn't expect anything. And then she she bolted in. Really, she she come. I think it was a field of sixteen at the Sunny Coast, and she went past them like they were nailed to the fence. And uh, I didn't get on her for a while after that. Um, but then she was first up in her preparation aimed towards the Oaks, and she she was back last and. A smallish field. They went along in a nice clip, but she she probably gave me one of the best feels I've had on a horse. Mm. Um, she could stay, but she had a turn of foot like no other. She she could let rip. You know, she was unbelievable, and uh, she beat a bunch of nice horses just easily. I, I think I maybe touched her once with a whip, and that was just to see if I could just put a couple more gears into play because I was, you know, just it was an amazing experience and. Uh, I think that was her turn of foot was highlighted when she, I think she ran first up in the Golden Eagle. She ran third, you know, so mm. yeah, very first versatile horse and, um, you know, had an engine really like no other. It's well known that you're a racing tragic. During one particular four week suspension, you rode work for three weeks and you watched one million races on Sky. <laughs> yeah, that's very true, John. I, Look, I love the industry. Uh, it's given me a life. Um, you know, I joke about it with, uh, you know, with people. I think, geez, if I wasn't a jockey, I'd probably be packing shelves at Woolies. So uh, not that there's anything like that, but I, look, I, I owe the industry a lot. And, uh, yeah, like you said, I don't really know what to do with myself when I'm uh, suspended and whatnot. So, yeah, I kept riding work. And um, obviously with the partner that rides, you're obviously always watching her. So, um, but, yeah, I, I I watch races religiously and, and that's part of always trying to be a bit better, I guess. You, you, you're just trying to take a little bit from, you know, from, from what you can and or watching horses that you can maybe get on or things like that. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I just, I do love the, the sport and I love the animals. So it's uh, when you love both, it's very hard to get away from them. It's a good mix. <clears throat> yeah, now, Kyle, it was David Van Dyke who brought you to Sydney to ride We Own a Smart One in the Sydney Stakes at Randwick on Everest Day 2022. Great day to be riding in Sydney. You ran third, beaten about half a length, and for one fleeting moment you thought you were home. Yep, yeah, I, I did. I, I you know, went down with him and we thought he was we thought he was a good chance, and but he was 20 to 1 and a Queenslander, so he's probably, you know, overlooked a bit, but he had a really nice Barry Drew one and... Uh, yeah, I followed the pace around and uh, I hip and shouldered Huey Bowman out of the way at the top of the straight and got a nice little suspension for that. But, yeah, I did think I was going to win 
ones I'd peeled out off their backs and uh, couldn't believe that I was going to win. And uh, he's probably just come to the end of his run the last bit, but he, he ran enormous. And just like you said, just to be there on Everest Day, watch the Everest and, and be a part of it was great. And it was just a taste of hopefully things to come, you know, it's something I'd love to do is ride more down there. Mm, of course. I think racing is your principal conversation at home. Is Angela happy to talk about it or does she like to switch off occasionally? She doesn't really get a choice, to be honest, John. But, um, yeah, no, I think she probably would like to switch off a bit more. But, like you said, I'm a bit racing mad and um, I'm probably uh, – it's probably or there's probably not much else for me to talk about. it. Um, yeah, so I find myself predominantly talking about racing and uh, it might get a bit frustrating sometimes. But uh, if that's the only bad thing she's got to deal with, I think she can handle it. Oh, my word. Worst things could happen. <laughs> As we said earlier, your weight's stable, and if absolutely necessary, you could ride at 53 kilos. Yeah, I, I regularly ride 53 kilos, obviously for the right horse, um, but, yeah, I can, I can ride 53, you know, reasonably comfortable. And uh, as I said before, I rode 52 in the Stradbroke, and that took a bit of work, but uh, it was doable. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's what I can do, and um, I think it's a huge help to me. Kyle Wilson-Taylor, you're an inspiration to young people who might be on the wrong track or heading that way. You identified your best talent. You got out of the environment in which you could have perished and you've turned your life around completely. I hope others can take a leaf out of your book. Thanks, John. That's very kind words. Like I said, I don't like to probably dwell on it too much, but, um, yeah, like I said before, you know, if if you you want to achieve something, um, I, th- I think I'm proof you can if you want it bad enough. It's just, um, yeah. So if you, if you want to put in the work, you can you can achieve it. You know, it was your manager Glenn Courtney who said I should have a yarn with you, and his judgment was absolutely spot on. Thoroughly enjoyed having a chat with you, Kyle. Onwards and upwards, your journey is just beginning. And please say hello to Angela for me. I will do. Thank you, John, for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Kyle Wilson-Taylor on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Many Australian trainers have tried their horses on Pride's Racing Cube and have given the product a tick of approval. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube set recipe formulation means the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags, or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at an economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers of thoroughbreds, standardbreds, and performance horses are giving it the thumbs up all around the nation.